Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit BroadwayBullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Well, I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every night. It is live after all. Working at Lincoln Center, it sounds very huge and elevated. And that's what it feels like, like once you're working there. Because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issue of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't, we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Volume 302 of Broadway Bullet for January 29th, 2009. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we got a great show for you. We got cabaret sensation Tony Desaire talking about his new CD and his engagement at the Oak Room. We've got some special audio content from our first live showcase that happened last Sunday, including... Uh, James Barber stopped by by surprise to perform, and we got a song from him, as well as some of the other open micers. So come on down to the next show on February 8th. You might end up on Broadway Bullet. We've also got the one-man shows currently playing at the Soho Playhouse, Blanche Survives, Katarina, and Crap 39. We got their performers and creators here to talk about the show, so a lot of fun there. Uh, notice that we've got a lot more people checking out the MP3 version of the podcast, and I just wanted to let you know that if you subscribe in iTunes and it's free, you get the enhanced version, which lets you skip back and forth between tracks and makes it easier to re-listen to your, say, favorite part of the show. So check that out. You won't miss an episode, and it's easy and it's free. Also, on a more serious note, um, I didn't want to do this, but I'm putting out a plea to my listeners. Uh, for the first time in two years, uh, I do this podcast every week for free. Uh, I don't make any money. Most of the advertising you may have heard is in trade for various things or whatnot. And uh, at the moment, we are in danger of losing our studio, like imminently, within uh, like two weeks if we don't come up with uh, some rent that we're falling short in these hard times. I uh, guarantee no matter what that we will continue the showcase performances and I will continue Broadway Bullet even if for some reason we lose our studio space, although I'm not quite sure what that show would sound like. So I'm hoping that some of you love the show enough and um, aren't quite as hard off as I am that maybe you could possibly donate something to the cause. Um, uh, $1,000 would save us immediately from getting booted out of the studio, and our ultimate goal is 2000 which would get us out of the hole and onto safe ground. Um, hopefully some of you love the show enough and you're willing to contribute. Uh, we deliver the show for free. Uh, I work my butt off to give you the great interviews. Uh, if you can't, I understand, but if you're not hurting, anything would help, whether it's you know, $1, $5, $10, $20, $50, $100, uh, anything you can contribute would be greatly, greatly appreciated, and no matter what, I promise you the show will continue. Uh, we have a donate button through PayPal on the front page of broadwaybullet.com, and uh, if any of you can find it in your hearts to contribute, uh, again, it would be greatly appreciated. I hate to have to ask you for this, but I, we've kind of exhausted all of our other options at the moment. On the brighter side, the first show went very well, and they've given us another date. Uh, February 8th, we're going to be doing this showcase again. And real good news, one of the open mic performers, uh, James Watson... Uh, James Barber heard him and liked him so much, and although he wasn't in the top three for the night, James Barber asked him to perform with him 
at his Sardis gig that is coming up again. So, hey, that's kind of a great, kind of cool star is born moment. And uh, so come check out the show. Come perform. You may end up on the podcast. You may get something of a break. Who knows? And uh, you'll definitely have a lot of fun. So uh, check us out. Uh, we got the information on the front page of broadwaybullet.com. February 8th, and they've said if this one goes well, they're going to give us a regular night. So please come on out and support if you're here in New York. And if you're not, just like today, we'll feature some of the highlights in future podcasts. Well, that's enough of my babbling. We've got a big show here, so let's get it underway. On the boards. The burning question on everybody's mind for years has been what would have happened if Blanche Dubois had survived? into cat into uh, hurricane katrina <laughs> and we have a one man show also playing at the soho rep where that question gets answered mark sam rosenthal is the writer and performer in the okay i need to take a deep breath here Blanche survives Katrina in a FEMA trailer named Desire. That's right. Which I'm sure they're still trying to fit on the marquee out front of the Soho Playhouse. Uh, <laughs> well, we, we managed to get it in. We got a good little uh, graphic design. <laughs> I was trying to look at this to see, but the closest thing I could come up with for an acronym for that is Biskefiatna, or B-S-K-F-T-N-D. <laughs> right. Know. It just doesn't work. So you just have to say the whole thing. And I think, you, you know, it, it's funny. The title has been so such a hook for us. Um, even though it's long and I do get tired of saying it, I don't get tired of saying it because it gets such a great reaction. Um, and it, it kind of, the title is very telling. Like if, if someone hears the title, either they go, what the hell is that? Or they say, oh, wow. <laughs> I cannot wait to see that. Like, oh, wow. So, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> So. <laughs> wow. So we know we know our crowd based on their reaction to the title, you know. So um yeah, anyone who's listening who's like, what the hell is that? Well, you know, I don't know. Hey. Well come find out. And, and what role do you play? Well, I play Blanche Dubois. <laughs> do you shave? Uh, I shave. We run we run Thursday through Sunday and I shave on Thursday. So by Sunday the show gets a little hairy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because, um, well, I don't want to give too much away. Of course, I'd rather people came and saw it, but uh, it's not uh, its not a full drag show. You know, I'm never in a dress, but I'm in a bunch of wigs. <laughs> and as has been said, uh, I'm not in drag, but I can really work a wig. So... So what, what was your angle? I guess what, what made you decide to come up with this concept? Well, I have... Uh, always loved the Tennessee Williams play, Streetcar Named Desire. I have always been kind of fascinated, <laughs> appalled and fascinated by the character of Blanche Dubois and sort of always have kind of improvised in her voice. And and I just love the way she talks and thinks. I mean, it's crazy to me, but crazily beautiful also. You know, just this kind of desperate woman character. I, I don't want to say I relate to How does this go to her, over but... at the sports uh, does this go over well at the sports bars when you hang out? Well I don't. <laughs> so do I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how it would. I will go I'll go one time. Is that a dare? <laughs> That's a dare, yes. <laughs> Let's do it. After this. My goodness, it's not even noon. That would actually uh, probably be a good YouTube clip to promote the show. That probably would actually. But um but uh but you know, so I just have this affinity for this character, and um, 
and uh, I'm from Louisiana. I'm from Baton Rouge, and uh, I have a lot of family in New Orleans. They were all flooded out. Um, so I was very, you know, kind of personally affected by everything that happened uh, during Katrina as well as just, uh, you know, what, what happened to people I didn't know, too. I mean, just the enormity of it. And somehow the two things intercepted uh, in my mind. And, 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 it, and I had it was a, acid, right? Uh, it was. <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is this a drug show? Uh, um, now I just had a little vision of, like, my God, what would happen if Blanche Dubois was in that haggard line of people evacuating to the Superdome, you know? And I just thought, that is a sick idea, and I really want to find out. So I wrote it. And, um, you know, and then we, you know, the play opens with her arriving at the Superdome, and then we take it from there. (laughs) So how long has this been in development for you? Uh... Like at least a year and a half. Um, I did it in the Fringe Festival, the New York Fringe Festival last August, and it was kind of a hit. It won the Audience Choice Award, and um, it was one of the solo shows that was uh, selected for Outstanding Solo Show, and it really got a response. But before that, I had uh, I had done a few staged readings, uh, you know, around town, and just kind of generating some interest and getting some feedback. So I suppose a year and a half, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious, you know, when you are doing the stage, first off, what's the, some of your other background as an actor? Uh, my background is actually more in comedy, more mm-hmm. uh, improv comedy. I improvised for a number of years at Upright Citizens Brigade uh, here in New York, and I uh, did stand-up for a couple of years also, which I haven't done in a while, but, you know, so that's more my background uh, than than just straight-up, you know, acting. <laughs> and I've done another one-man show, uh, also that I wrote, um, and then I've had some other plays that I've written, performed, so kind of crossing back and forth, writer-performer. Um, but comedy, always comedy. <laughs> and what's more comedic than a Cat 5 hurricane? <laughs> <laughs> Although there is there's some drama in it, no, no doubt. So, you know, this is probably one question I've never asked, and I don't mean it to sound like offensive if it does, but... How is it doing staged readings for a one-man show? Does it just kind of feel like you're asking your friends to watch you show off? Or uh, <laughs> it seems like there is definitely a different dynamic to getting the support behind a one-person show than raising a play. Well, the play, there you got is. this team, and it doesn't feel so eager. But I can imagine myself if I were like, for some reason, wanting to do a one-man show, I'd be like terrified to ask my friends to come watch. Well, I'm, uh, I am a little bit more bashful than my director, so luckily I have him because he is brazen. Um, so he actually did a lot of the uh, driving up of, of support and everything. But, you know, I really... Actually, a lot of my friends really just love this idea from the get-go. But, you know, when it was just an idea that I was kind of even improvising before I ever set pen to paper, I was talking about it with friends. And... and um, so really, I've kind of had a lot of support from the beginning with it. So I never, I guess it wasn't really a problem to ask people to come along. They wanted to. So, which I find with the audiences too. Even people that I don't know now that it's much more public, you know. It's, it, it, seems to, it seems to get people on to some kind of Blanche bandwagon. A Blanche wagon, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, just coming up with all the, the all the snappy terms. I'm an improviser. <laughs> <laughs> Although the show is totally, you know, scripted, so that's a different uh, experience for you know for me with an improv background. But it's a language. 
play because it's it's in the style of Tennessee Williams, you know. So the the language of the show is really over the top. <laughs> <laughs> So your work with Upright Citizens Brigade, just to, just to touch on that for a little bit for people who are interested, what, what, what is the, kind of the process with them a little bit? Uh, well, I mean, I haven't been on uh, a team there in a while. You know, mm-hmm. there's, they have improv teams uh, that perform, but, um, you know, that's, it's uh, long-form improv, uh, so it's much more theatrical. It's not games, uh, like improv games, you know, that are the audience calls out, words in the middle of the, you know, show. It's kind of like... Blanche Dubois could do that. Well, in, Blanche in, in could. In hurricane, she could ask you know. people to call out words. <laughs> she, she could. <laughs> but, you know, she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, Blanche is as broken as she is. She is always in control of her show. <laughs> um, but well, now, yeah. she survived to Katerina, but did you keep... Did you age her or did you keep her in the same... No, no, no. It's as if she, I mean, she's a timeless literary okay, so, yeah. <laughs> heroine. So she is uh, exactly the same as, as she was, you know, you know, age, attitude, and streetcar named Desire. I have to say, I drag her through the mud a little, and she gets a little more beaten down by the end of my show. Uh, maybe even than she was at the end of the original <laughs> play. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no, that's the idea is that she's, you know, the world has moved on. Uh, and, and and but she had, is still there. She and Stanley and Stella were still there. And uh, and then this this new reality, this you know Katrina came in, which was the my idea is that that was too real for even these timeless literary heroines uh, or figures to survive unaffected. You know, that, that was it was too much reality. So that's the idea. All right, and people can catch all this down at the Soho Playhouse through uh, March 15th? That's right. We're Thursdays through Sundays. And uh, your website is BlancheSurvivesKatrina.com. That's right. So you shorten it for the website. Well, good Lord. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not a monster. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so you can go to the BlancheSurvivesKatrina.com for more information or check out the show notes on Broadway Bullet. And, right, right. There's uh, even a trailer on the website that you can see a little uh, couple of minutes of uh, some funny. Do you have the, the deep-voiced show. movie guy? I don't. <laughs> no, I have the Blanche voice. <laughs> in a world gone mad. You don't have that? you know. I don't have that. It is a woman. non-narrated trailer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Mark, Sam Rosenthal, thanks so much for coming down. Oh, thanks. Thank you. And best of luck with your production. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. As I mentioned, James Barber, surprise, showed up for our first performance of Sunday Spotlight at the Times Square Art Center. And uh, he surprised everybody by performing a very rare song, as you'll say, by Frank Wildhorn. In fact, from the sounds of it, doesn't seem like this has ever been recorded anywhere. Uh, James Barber continues his engagement at Sardi's, though he switched from a Christmas theme to a romantic theme for February. It's called Love Songs. Be sure to check it out at Sardi's, and you can find out more at broadwaybullet.com for the volume 302 show notes. Here's James Barber singing live from Broadway Bullet, Sunday Spotlight, The Measure of a Man by Frank Wildhorn. This tune has never been heard before. It's a Frank Wildhorn tune, uh, and uh, he's never played it. I've only sung it once, so hopefully we can get through the lyrics. So see if you like it. <laughs> I wonder, is 
afraid to be the man I was born to be. Oh, my life I've waited for one shining chance to be all I can and more. Am I the fool who dreamed what might have been? Or here and now, do I begin? There comes a time when the measure of a man is taken. There comes a time when at last you stand alone. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Dave. All right, we had to edit that song down because it turns out James Barber wasn't kidding. That song is completely unreleased, unpublished, everything. So uh, that's a little snippet of the new Frank Wildhorn tune. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Get down to the next Broadway Bullet Sunday Spotlight on February 8th. Again, check out James Barber's Sardi's gig starting January 29th, and uh, you can find out more information at jamesbarber.com or for the show notes for Volume 302 at broadwaybullet.com. The Call Board. I received a great email from a listener just this morning, and I wanted to share it with everyone. It said, uh, Dear Michael, I live in Israel, and I've been listening to your podcast for the last two years. I recently was listening to your latest podcast and heard Ken Davenport reading the letter that the agent in Israel wrote about the fact that the show in Beer Shiva had to be postponed due to the recent war in south of Israel. I just wanted to let Ken know that I was touched by his words and the fact that he devoted time to discussing what is going on on our side of the world. I'm very involved in community theater in Israel, and next year I'll be volunteering in the south of Israel doing theater with the kids who have been living under rocket attacks for over eight years. I love listening to your podcast. Keep up the good work. Your fan, and I'm sure I'll mispronounce this name, Liel Zahavi Asa. Uh, that's fantastic. So just on uh, Ghost Show, we have listeners absolutely all over the world. Um, thanks for writing in and sharing. It's always nice to hear that uh, what we're doing means something to people. All right. There's a contest for In the Heights. Uh, so now's your chance to share your love and win. Freestyle about the one you love, then submit the video, and you could win a romantic trip to see In the Heights on Valentine's Day. So you enter by recording yourself freestyling, you upload your video to YouTube, and you submit the video to their YouTube group. The link is on the website in the show notes for Broadway Bullet. Com for volume 302. And uh, the winner, the videos will be judged by Lin-Manuel's Miranda's Freestyle Love Supreme, and the best overall freestyle will win a special Valentine's Day date package. Dinner for two at Tony D. Napoli, a hot New York restaurant, and a pair of tickets to see In the Heights. Again, find out more information on the contest on our website. All right, next up, Avenue Q and title of show creators join in a PS107 discussion. How do you convince a producer that a show featuring puppets for an adult audience and one about writing a Broadway musical will ever succeed in a theater world focused on risk aversion? On Wednesday, February 25th at 7.30 p.m. on the fourth floor of PS107 in Park Slope, Brooklyn, Framji Minwala, visiting professor of drama at Fordham University, will moderate a panel that includes some of the most successful off-off-Broadway talents ever to make it to the Great White Way. Jeff Bowen and Hunter Bell, we've interviewed them here, creators and stars in the Obie Award-winning musical title of show, will be joined by their female lead, Susan Blackwell. Jeff Witte, Tony Award-winning playwright for Best Musical 
Avenue Q, and lyricist for Avenue Q, Doug Abel, artistic director of the Vineyard Theater, which took both of these shows to Broadway, will round out the panel. Anecdotes, spontaneous song, and the trials and tribulations of creating musical theater that goes beyond the norm will be center stage in this evening of theatrical insight. Broadway Unbound, the name of the session, will be held on the fourth floor of PS107, which is located at 13th Street and 8th Avenue in Park Slope, Brooklyn. Tickets are $15 online at www.ps107.org or at the door. Listening Room. Julie Fuldisi is currently appearing in the Lincoln Center's revival of South Pacific, a big smash hit, and she's also got her own solo album, This Part of Town, which is very bluegrass-inspired, but I think still very appealing to theater people. She's actually going to be doing a showcase performance, a 30-minute set, at the next Broadway Bullet Sunday Spotlight on February 8th, so you'll want to come on down and see her play live, and uh, it's a lot of selections from her CD. But you might want to check out this uh, song from her CD, This Part of Town. This is Bluer Sky from Julie Fulnese. Go to the park for the last generation chance. Our government leads us in a new nation dance. Ours a hope and a dying glacier melt. Watch our society as we blind ourselves. But we hold the mustard seed. What's the lesson that we need as we walk through the garden of beauty but still pick the shallow me? But our passion for the forest, for the campfield sky. You with a photographic eye, can you tell us why we need a bluer sky? Maybe as the grizzly sees, but men get down on unhappy knees. Wildwood in the countryside, you move me with a moody tide. Make a vendor out of being mellow. Take the girl out to the meadow and city friend of mine. Can you tell mankind? We hold the mustard seed. What's the lesson that we need? As we walk through the garden of beauty, but still pick the shallow me. But our passion for the forest, for the campfield sky. a bluer sky, sky, oh the way you love me with your music and your danger, back in the city I'll be welcomed as a stranger, wildwood flower won't you lead me to my muse, while I'm stuck in this Through the garden of beauty, but still pick the shallow me. But our passion for the forest, for the campfield sky. Oh, you with the photographic eye, can you tell us why we need a bluer sky? Sky. Oh, mountain man, will you take me as I am? Will you believe when I say I have to leave? This life is not for us, it's user has no chorus. 
That was Julie Foldisi with Bluer Sky from her CD This Part of Town. Remember, she will be performing at、uh, the Sunday Spotlight on February 8th. We've also got some other great performers. Joe Iconis is going to be doing a showcase set.、Uh, you may remember him from our season finale. He did、uh, Things to Ruin.、Uh, very funny guy.、He、performed live in our studio here before, and now you can catch him live on stage at the Broadway Bullet Spotlight. We're also going to have selected performances from Glimpses of the Moon, and who knows who, what other people might show up. You gotta come to find out. All right. You can find out more about Julie Foldisi at juliefoldisi.com, and the CD is available at CD Baby and iTunes. Cabaret Corner. I'm sitting here in the studio today with Tony Desaire, who has、uh, just released his third CD、uh, called Radio Show. He's、uh, definitely a big rising star in the cabaret scene、uh, in New York and around the country. And we got him here in the studio. He's going to talk a little bit about his CD, and maybe we can even get him to perform a couple tracks from it. How are you doing, Tony? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you? Good. So I'm going to get the first big obvious question out of the way, and you probably hate this, but I'm curious. Does the Michael Bublé thing, you know, taking off in the past couple of years, has that helped or hurt? Well,、career? I think it it can only help because there's,、uh, you know, a lot of people say there's so many people doing this type of music, but really there's not, you know. So the fact that Michael Bublé is out there and、uh, selling lots of tickets,、um, singing this、uh, genre of music, which is,、uh, you know, let's let's face it, not the popular music of today,、um, but yet Michael Bublé has, be, has been able to become A big star doing it, so it. I think it helps more because it it proves that it's still a viable music that people want to hear. So,、uh, a little of your background.、Uh, where are you from originally? I'm originally from a little town called Hudson Falls, New York. <laughs> yes. And what's in Hudson Falls?、Um, a park, a little <laughs> park, and、uh, it's a it's a town of about six thousand people, and uh, it's uh, sandwiched in between. A lot of people know Saratoga Springs. For the、uh, horse racing track and also Lake George,、uh, the tourist area—it's right between those two areas of, up, of upstate New York—and、uh, it was a great place to grow up. You know, it's basically farm country, and、uh, I started my music career up there. And how long ago did you move to New York? I moved to New York about ten years ago. How old are you? You look—you look so young. I'm—I'm thirty-three. No way. Yes. <laughs> you look like a youngster. Well, when I was when I was twenty two, I looked like I was twelve. So. 
So the new CD is called Radio Show, and I understand there's a, a, a whole theme around it and a reason behind that. Yeah, well, for my third CD, I wanted to do something different. I had, I, you know, put out two CDs, and you know, in this genre, you know, ten, people tend because it's it's older music, and uh, they they tend to view it a little more tr- traditionally as well, kind of like just doing um, the the standards that are you know Cole Porter, Gershwin, Irving Berlin, and um, you know the CDs, like most CDs, are just kind of twelve discrete tracks, and uh, I wanted to try something new. You know, it's 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 a new century, um, and this is a type of music that I do not because I'm trying to bring back any memories for anybody, certainly not myself. To me, it's it's new music, so I wanted to approach it that way. So I got this idea listening to an old World War II Frank Sinatra radio broadcast. And of course, uh, you know those are long since gone, and I I had never heard one live myself. But the recordings of it, to me, evoked something. And even the songs that Sinatra or artists like him recorded at the time, the studio recordings were completely different from the from the radio show recordings. And uh, there was a special energy to it. So I thought it'd be interesting to kind of reinvent the radio show for the 20th century. So. I mean, it starts out like a World War II radio show, the CD with an announcer, this is the Tony DeSale program, you know, and uh, goes from song to song. But rather than keeping all in that old-time format, it really is a tribute to radio as a whole. And uh, my friend uh, Joe, Joe uh, Piscopo, the Saturday Night Live alum, helped out with uh, giving me different uh, radio DJ voices. So I've got the 50s rock and roll DJ, the late night jazz DJ, and um, it's it's kind of like going for an hour drive in your car and searching out your favorite songs, you know, and kind of creating your own show, except every artist is me. All right. Well, I understand besides, uh, you know, some fabulous covers that you do on here, you actually do some original material on this as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe we could get you to play one of those here in the... Sure. Uh, yeah, this will. This is the first uh, original track on the CD. Um, it's right after I do my uh, spoken in- in intro on the radio show. It's written to sound like it was uh, debuted in 1942. It's called "A Little Bit Closer." All right. Well, you ready? Let's do it. I have to tell you something serious, but don't be alarmed. See, I've been feeling delirious When you're near my arms So It's a hop, it's a jump, it's a skip now From the tip to the top of your lip now What would I do to get a little bit closer to you? Don't say yes, don't say no, no, don't rush now If you think of it too much, you'll blush now What would I do to get a little bit closer to you? Picture this, a real long ride on a transatlantic plane But we'll have Paris before we cherish The view from Mr. Eiffel's Lane So if you hope, if you wish, if you pray now 
that I bet it'll be any day now that I will get just a little bit closer to you. So growing up in northern New York, uh, that was fantastic, by the way. But were you were you always a fan of this tale of music? No. In fact, I didn't even really know at all anything about it. Oh, so you weren't running around singing Sinatra and getting beat up at school? Not at all. <laughs> I wasn't singing Sinatra. No, I wasn't getting beat up either. But I barely escaped that. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, I was raised on the easy listening hits of the '70s and '80s. You know, my my dad uh, plays guitar and sings. He never did it professionally, but uh, my dad and mom love uh, you know James Taylor, and uh, my mom loves Barry Manilow and Neil Diamond and uh, the Carpenters, and those those are the things that I grew up on. And I you know I love the songs, and and they're good songs. You know, today they're kind of looked on as you know with kind of a dubious. Uh, you know, <laughs> reputation, but everyone loves them. I, I'm, you know, when they're by themselves somewhere and it comes on, they I know that they're singing along to Samuel Diamond. Uh, so when I was about 11 years old, I was always fascinated with piano. I'd been playing violin for a few years, so I knew how to read music. But every time I saw a piano or a piano player, I was completely fascinated. So I really wanted to know how to play piano, and I was also obsessed with Scott Joplin's The Entertainer as, as a, an 11-year-old kid. And uh, my parents got me a keyboard and piano lessons. And that the first year, I learned The Entertainer by Scott Joplin. And uh, that started the ball rolling. Then toward the end of that year, I heard Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which that was a real moment of, of you know, I just I had to learn how to play it. So I spent the next entire year, which was my eighth grade my entire eighth grade year was learning Rhapsody in Blue uh, which basically taught me a lot of piano technique and kind of really got me heading in the jazz direction and then then is uh, you know and I I wasn't singing at all but uh, my mom actually brought home this little cassette tape called Frank Sinatra Gold 
from a drugstore. It was like four ninety nine, <laughs> you know, and it's got the the cheesy, you know, like thrown together artwork, you know, and a, and and a, and she had and it was I remember it was on the dining room table, and and I, I think she got it, not for me in you know, in general, she just got it, and I decided to put it on that night in my, my little boom box that I had in my room. And it was the uh, kind of the biggest hits of Frank's capital years, which stretched from 1953 to about 1960, or early 60s. Um, and I completely was blown away by it. Songs like the, I've Got You Under My Skin, I Get a Kick Out of You, Young at Heart, with these great arrangements, I had no idea that this stuff existed. The, the only thing I knew by Frank Sinatra was New York, New York, which I loved, but I just, I didn't think, I thought that was kind of it, you know? So after that, that really opened up this world to me. And I, my voice started to change and I tried singing and it, and for a long time, I didn't sing for anybody. I just would, would kind of sing this stuff in my basement. And uh, then I sang for a few friends of mine and they were completely, you know, taken buy it and then, and then I kind of thought I might be on to something and then before I knew it I was out in upstate New York playing every weekend um, with my trio and uh, it all led to right here sitting with you. <laughs> all right uh, before we talk a little bit more uh, we're going to talk about, talk about your Oak Room engagement as well mm -hmm. um, but do you want to perform another one of your originals here from the CD? Sure let's do it. What's this one called? This is uh, now the, uh, the World War II era of uh, radio shows um, and not just limited to World War II, but that, but that era would, they'd often have a theme song, which um, not necessarily would be an up-tempo happy song, would be something like, you know, especially during the wartime, since it was a really, you know, bittersweet time, would be something like, I'll be seeing you, or, or put your dreams away. And uh, so I wrote this song, Dreaming My Life Away, which is, it plays at the very beginning of the CD, is, is a, an, an orchestral piece. And then I close the radio show with it, uh, and it's uh, you know very much in the spirit of, of those uh, songs, like I'll Be Seeing You or uh, Put Your Dreams Away. All right, you ready to play? I'm ready. Okay. Was it a sigh? Was it? Where did it all begin? Was it a song that captured your heart Or just some tune by Berlin Was it a warm kiss, dear Or just the summer's charm Maybe I Till then I'll go Dreaming my life away
dreaming my life away. All right, that was great. So tell us a little bit about your big Oak Room engagement. Well, uh, <laughs> returning to the Oak Room, and I have to say my first engagement at the Oak Room, though initially terrifying because of the uh, history and just the level of uh, pressure involved in it, turned out to be the most fun I think I've ever had performing. This was uh, two years ago I, I did the show. and. The, uh, the nature of the room is, is unique, and the sound of the room is unique, and there's, you know, the fact that it's in the middle of New York City and has this history stretching back, you know, to, you know, old Hollywood and Dorothy Parker, and, all, and uh, it, it's an amazing place to be. And I'm very excited to be back there. I'm doing a Johnny Mercer show. Now, Johnny Mercer would have been 100 years old this year if he had lived. He actually died six months after I was born. And uh, it's been a real... I've always been a fan of his lyrics and his, his songs, um, just naturally. Um, he was from the South. So he was a country boy, kind of like I'm a country boy who moved to the city. And uh, there's certain things that you can't help but have in common uh, with somebody like that. Uh, so <laughs> this show is called Mercer, Moon, River, and Me. So, uh, you know, it's about primarily 90% about Johnny Mercer and his work. Uh, and then I throw a little bit of me in there, too, because I can't help it. The uh, a songwriter, I feel like I have to share, share my songs. Uh, so, yeah, we open February 3rd, and uh, three weeks, uh, February 3rd through the 21st. How many days a week are you playing with that? It's uh, five, five days a week, seven shows a week. That's pretty uh, heavy engagement there. It is. So uh, you get a large crowd that flocks out to you. Is this, this is your second engagement in the Oak This is my second, yeah. How is it, you know, you know... Listen, radio doesn't play a lot of this stuff anymore. You know, how, how really do these big engagements get promoted and filled? How long does it take you to build up that crowd to follow you? How much is it that the Oak Room just has people who go there? And, yeah, well, been... I mean, there's, there's a combination of things. The, the you know, New York Cabaret has a certain inherent uh, core group of people that, that support it. And um, there's, you know, there's things like, like what we're doing right now, you know, a lot of things add up and uh, the reviews that come out help. And, uh, you know, it gets, it gets reviewed by the New York Times and the, and the Post. And um, all those things hopefully add up to a, a nice following uh, during the run. So anything else exciting on the horizon for you coming up? Yeah, well, the Oak Room kicks off a whole uh, uh, kind of of, of performances all around the country. I, I go to Irving, Texas shortly after the, the Oak Room in Palm Springs, California. I go to London for two weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, just to, this, this year will be about promoting radio show and getting it out there. All right, so is there a website that people can find out your whole tour schedule and all that? Of course there's a website. <laughs> it's www.tonydesere.com. That's T-O-N-Y. D-E-S-A-R-E. All right. So any parting shots you want to get out here? Um, well, uh, just uh, not really. Just to encourage people to check out Radio Show. If you go to my website, actually, there's a link at the upper right-hand corner. You can hear the first 10 minutes of the, of the CD to give you an idea of, of what the, the format is and what the flavor is of it. All right. Well, it was great talking to you, Tony. 
uh, wish the best of luck in your engagement, and uh, we're going to play out with a little bit of uh, something from your CD. Great. Thanks, Mike. Every time I think of you, I feel shot right through with a bolt of blue. It's no problem of mine, but it's a problem I find. Living a life that I can't leave behind. There's no sense in telling me the wisdom of the fools. On the boards. A couple of shows that open very soon. Stop by to do some promo performances at our Broadway Bullet Sunday Spotlight last Sunday, including uh, the Astoria Performing Arts Center is going to be doing Ragtime. Uh, from February 5th through February 22nd, uh, it's definitely one of my favorite shows. Loved it when I got to interview Flaherty and Aarons on this program. And uh, they sent down a couple of people for We're going to hear one next week. But uh, this week we're going to listen to Janine Ain Romano, who is playing the role of Sarah. And she came down to perform Your Daddy's Son from Ragtime. So check it out. You can find the link at uh, our show notes for Broadway Bullet Volume 302.
Daddy played piano, bet he's playing still. Mama can't forget him, don't suppose I will. God wants no excuses, I have only one. You had your daddy's hands. Forgive me, you Prospect Theatre Company was also on hand and unveiled a song from their upcoming production of The Dome. And, uh, well, Kara Reichel, the artistic director and director for the show, uh, introduced probably the song better than I do. So here's a performance from The Dome, which will be playing from January 29th through March 1st. Uh, check out Prospect Theatre Company. Again, you can find all information on the show notes page. Uh, the Dome is a show that's been written for the West End Theatre, which if you've never been there, it's up on 86th Street in this church. It's a beautiful theatre with this domed ceiling. And we got together a bunch of incredibly talented artists and we asked them to write uh, material songs and, and different short plays about um, how the architecture inspired them. And basically what's come out of it are a lot of songs and, and great material about people sort of pondering life and, and um, big questions about the universe. And this is a song by a woman named Deborah Abramson. And um, she's incredibly talented. And we're very grateful for her for contributing this to the Dome. And uh, I think it will make sense when you hear it. This is Sarah Statler. Before there was you And her world and her family grew Eighty-some years, Liliana Grandchildren crowded her heart every day I was the one who was never quite sure what to say I felt she was slipping away. They said, she'll hear you much less if you visit tomorrow. She'll see you much less if you come back next week. She'll know you much less if you wait till next month and next year. She won't even think you were here. Sorrow with mirth. Maybe you heard, 
when we shouted and welcomed your birth and set you a place on the earth. When will you know, Liliana? I was the one who arrived your third week, trying to decide on the first words that you'd hear me speak. Finally, we sat cheek to cheek. They said, she'll hear you much more if you visit tomorrow. She'll see you much more if you come back next week. She'll know you much more if you wait till next month and next year. But I want you to feel I was here. Let me make myself So again, we're going to be featuring another performance from uh, Ragtime next week and something else from the Prospect Theatre Company. They kind of celebrated the CD release of Honor. So we'll have those for you next week in the show. And remember, be sure to catch Broadway Bullet Sunday Spotlight, our next show, February 8th from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. All the information's on the website. Hope you come down and sing with us or just come down and enjoy the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. On the boards. Crap 39 is a new one-man show that just opened at the Soho Playhouse. And it's about a man uh, looking back at his life as he hits 39, which is inspired by a Beckett play. We have the author and performer, Michael Lawrence, here with us in the studio. How are you doing? Good. Great. Thanks so much for having me. All right. So uh, tell us a little bit about... Crap 39. Well, like you said, it's a it's a uh, it's a it's a it's a solo piece. Um, it's inspired by uh, Samuel Beckett's Crap's Last Tape, which is a uh, uh, a famous uh, one character play. I think it was originally produced in 1958, um, and. Uh, it's sort of a it, it's sort of a seminal uh, solo piece about uh, about a, a man on his 69th birthday, and he's alone in a room and uh, he's listening to um, an archival tape that he made on his 39th birthday, and he's doing that um, because he's he's preparing to make 
uh, a new tape. He does this every year on his birthday, and, and uh, it, it's sort of like an audio diary that he makes, reflections on the year past. Um, and it's a very sort of minimalistic work. Of course, it's it's Beckett, um, but it's beautiful and poetic. And I, I've uh, I've always loved the play. Um, uh, a number of years ago, I saw a production of Crap's Last Tape in a tiny little theater in the East Village, and um, I was just blown away. Is there any other kind of theater in the East Village? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember, you know, walking home uh, in the snow that night, I, I thought to myself, you know, um, since most of the action of the play is this old man listening to an audio tape, um, I I had this idea that when I'm 39 years old, I wanted to record that tape and then seal it up in a box for 30 years so that when I'm 69 and the right age to play crap in Samuel Beckett's Crap's <laughs> Last Tape, I would pull out that artifact that I had made, you know, in... Uh, in, in 2008, and I would use it in, in the production. So it was sort of like this, uh, you know, I don't know, 30 years theatrical foresight, you know. <laughs> and it, was, it really started out as, as sort of uh, a, a, an actor's stunt in a way. It was just a, it was a thing that I wanted to, to do for myself because I, I just I longed to play that, that role someday. Um, so... <laughs> um, I uh, so I so I so anyway. Fast forward a number of years to this year when it was my actual thirty uh, ninth birthday, and I uh, uh, and, and I did it. I um, I uh, I recorded the tape on my actual birthday, and um, and it is sealed up in a box. And hopefully, in thirty years, I'll, I'll get the chance to use it. The thing about the tape is that in in whenever people do a, a production of Crap's Last Tape. Um, and there have been many famous ones, including uh, a year or two ago, uh, uh, Harold Pinter performed it uh, on the West End in, in, in London. I think it was his, his, uh, his sort of final stage appearance. Um, and, of course, he had been a, a sort of a protege in some ways of, of Samuel Beckett. But whenever people do productions of the play, they have to sort of create – they have this problem. How, we've got a 69-year-old actor, but – He's listening to himself as a 39-year-old, so they have to create this dummy tape where, you, you know, presumably the actor playing the role goes into a recording studio, records the tape, and sort of affects his voice to sound 30 years younger. So, you know, that was my my idea. My stunt was that, well, when I do the play, <laughs> I'm going to be actually acting with myself across 30, you know, the the river of time, looking 30 years back. So... Um, so that was sort of like the, uh, I guess the the sort of the, the genesis of this of this project um, was this desire to record this, the tape. But then, as I started doing my research into the play and working on the character, um, I started really relating to the themes of the play, um, uh, sort of the the loss of of youth, uh, the end of romantic love. There's a lot of stuff that has to do with the, the death of a parent, which sort of resonated with me because uh, uh, m my mother uh, passed away uh, not so very long ago. And so I, I just really became interested in, in these themes, and I started writing, and um, a writing around these themes, and slowly this, 
you know, this piece that um, uh, this performance piece started to develop in in my mind, and um, uh, so that was that was sort of the beginning. And uh, we did a version of it um, at the New York uh, International Fringe Festival in summer of two thousand and eight, um, and the response was. Uh, unexpected, but it was incredible, you know, and um, and so, like, I continued working on the piece, and this new version is at the Soho Playhouse uh, uh, now, until March 15th, so it's been very, uh, it's been a, it's, it's, it's been a different way of working than I've ever, uh, you know, uh, pursued before, so. Hey, you know, with, with all the playwrights and stuff that I've interviewed, I don't know if I've ever come across somebody with that extreme of a knowledge of how they came to the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I, pro- I probably, I, you know, it's, 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 it's the, this, the whole thing started out as a lark, you know, like this thing that I wanted to do on my 39th birthday. And then, uh, you know, piecemeal, this, uh, this hour and 20 minute show sort of developed. So... So what has been the biggest challenge for you doing the the one-man show here at the Soho? Well, um, it, hmm, challenge. I, it's, it's, it's very challenging. This is the first time I've ever done a one-man show. Um, I've always loved— Most people die right afterwards, so oh there's very few God. who do too. So, <laughs> luck, luck a li- yeah. I have a fatalistic bent, so I, I'll take you seriously on that. But Eric Bogosian's the rare exception. Oh, exactly. Well, <laughs> I'm knocking on my wooden forehead here. Um, actually, Eric Bogosian is—I've uh, is, uh, I, I, had the— Fortune uh, of of working with with Eric a couple of times, um, a play uh, of his called Humpty Dumpty several years ago at the McCarter Theater, and then again uh, last year uh, I was in the uh, the revival of Talk Radio on Broadway, and you know Eric has uh, has always been a huge inspiration to me. So you know I was saying that I, I've never uh, I've, this is the first time I've done a one man show, but since I was. 17 years old in Ohio and, uh, and, 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 you know, reading Bogosian and reading Spalding Gray, I was just so inspired by them and by their, their honesty and their reflection and, 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 and the possibilities of, of the solo form. Um, I guess, uh, now at age 39, I finally somehow had, uh, either the courage or the shamelessness to to attempt it myself, but uh, uh, so uh, first time out with a solo piece I, it presents its own challenges. It feels a little lonely sometimes because it's just it's just you, and um, I, I'm so used to acting in in ensemble pieces where uh, it's y- y- you know you 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 kind of forget about yourself and you're focused on the other person in 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 this case um it's it's me and my words and 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 my life and it's also crap 39 is a uh i think it's a universal piece and has uh, i hope anyway sort of some universal appeal in that it's really about reflecting on your life at midpoint 
you know, In a- fact, approaching I 40. I understand Peter Felicia's review of your show <laughs> kind of turned into just his own diary. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I haven't read it yet, but I, I love the concept for his piece. Yeah, I think he, he took he started the talking about your show and then started to decide to talk about himself at 39. Yeah, his life at 39 year old, <laughs> which I think is, I think is fantastic, you know, because I, <laughs> I, I'm riffing on a Beckett play and now he's riffing on my riff and somebody will start riffing on his riffing and then, you know, it'll be like a house of mirrors, but... Uh, it's, I think it's great, but uh, this is the theatrical equivalent of YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's right, exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, the the I, I think the piece has a universal appeal. But that said, it's um, it's very personal in a lot of ways, and and um, it's. Uh, reflecting on on my life as I'm, you know, on the edge of middle age has compelled me to sort of look back at my youth, you know, that is quickly vanishing, right? And so I'm sort of telling stories from my youth, all of which are uh, connected to Beckett's themes, right? So it's always hanging on that framework. Uh, But... um, uh, and, and, you know, part of the structure is that I'm looking at birthday journals and, I, and sort of in the way that Beckett's character was, um, although there's been a transposition of technology. And in Beckett's play, he's working – he's recording into, a, you know, an old reel-to-reel uh, tape recorder. And in my case, I'm recording myself with, you know, with a MacBook Pro and, you know, digital video cameras, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, – but yeah, you said there's a multi-media element too. To the, the there story. is, there is. Um, there, it's 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 not so uh, it's not so sophisticated as something like uh, Wooster Group. You know, it's it's not uh, it's not that level of multimedia. But there is um, there is a video component, and um, the uh, the video is really meant to be sort of like an extension. There there are sections of uh, of the piece where. Um, where the audience is listening to phone calls, uh, conversations that I recorded with uh, um, a couple of colleagues uh, of mine, one uh, an old friend uh, and uh, uh, a writer who lives in Seattle and the other uh, George Demas who's the director of the piece. And we're sort of talking about the process of, of putting this uh, play together and we're talking about the themes and there's this, this sort of like, you know, um, ironic meta quality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and during those segments in the play, I am uh, videotaping sort of in slow close-up sort of some of the artifacts of my life. And so I think the, 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 the desired result of that, I guess, is that it, it's some sort of um, – there's this video landscape that really looks like the inside of the character's mind. So, um, so yes, that, that's, been a, that's been a fun aspect of, 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 of the show. All right. Well, people can catch uh, Crap 39 at the Soho Playhouse. Uh, the website is krapp39.com, crap39.com. And uh, yeah, and it's running until March 15th? March 15th. Yeah, that's right. And, and the Soho Playhouse is uh, down on Van Damme Street uh, in, in Soho, obviously. All right. And then will Michael Lawrence make it 
to perform Crap's last tape, tune in in 30 years. <laughs> if you come see the play now, you have a free ticket for 30 years from now. So, <laughs> All right, Michael Lawrence, thanks so much for coming Thank down. Thank you so much. Listening Room. All right, we're going to feature a couple of uh, our open mic performers now. We're going to lead off with the winner of the sing-off. At the end of the night, we have the top three open mic singers sing one more song, and uh, the crowd votes, and the winner gets a $50 cash prize, uh, two hours studio time with me, two hours of recording our two hours of rehearsal space with Roy Arias. I do also want to mention our other sponsor is Campfire PR. Katie Rosen's going to be handling PR for the event. Uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, and she does a lot of great work for a lot of small shows. Um, so we're going to lead off with the winner, uh, Alan Harris, who uh, came and performed an original song from a musical he's writing and submitting to the Nymph, actually. It's called Cross That River. And uh, this is the title song. Alan Harris. The story of a runaway slave, 1855, runs away to Texas, becomes a black cowboy. Usually have nine people behind me. We did it this summer at the O'Neill Theater. They just finished a run at Kennedy Center. And that summer I did it with Vince Gill. So if you get a chance, check it out. Character's name is Blue, the protagonist. And this is the first song of the trilogy. On the cattle drive, thinking about his time as a slave. Mama said, A white man be coming in that morning, gonna drag Big Daddy away, sold him to the next farm, gonna breed him to the stock there. I guess that's where he's gonna stay They took baby sister Up to that big house Learn her to cook and mend their things Sometimes in the late night Underneath that staircase Sister rocks herself to sleep They say there's an old man He'll take you across that river Nobody knows his name Sometimes around a full moon Better make it to that river And hide along the bank Till he whispers your name Cross that river The dogs caught a runaway Down on that South Fork Mama said it's gonna be okay But we heard that man screaming Till the early dawn, no Lord, it kept us all away I know there's a free place Way across that river Where those wild ponies run and play One day I'm gonna get there If it takes me a lifetime A lifetime of being a slave They say there's an old man He'll take you across that river Nobody knows his name Sometimes around a full moon Better make it to that river And hide along the bay Till he whispers your name 
molasses had hair like a buffalo ran away from Louisiana where he watched his folks get sold he was angry oh yeah he was scared so he stole his master's stud horse and rode into the west Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. That Thank was you. Alan Harris with Cross That River. And I mentioned earlier on that one of the open mic performers uh, got a lucky break. James Barber was so taken with Jason Watson that he asked Jason to appear with him in one of his upcoming Sardis gigs. So this is the song that he sang that impressed him so much. It's Jason Watson singing Just One Night from Doonesbury, the musical. Uh, our next open mic person, Jason Watson... Uwe, the Jason Watson. Um, the song is Just One Night. The song is from Doonesbury. And uh, your day job, he says, headshot photographer, wink, wink. What does that mean? Oh, I got it. I thought it was like, hey, yeah, really headshot photography. I'm really doing something else. I see. Do you take pictures here in the day? No, I'm kidding. Um, wink, wink. So uh, how do they find you, by the way, if they want to headshot photography? WatsonPhotoNYC.com. That's a really short name. Right? Watson Photo. F O T O or P H O T O? Oh, see? All right, great. And the dream role is uh, Jean Valjean in the fourth Broadway revival of Les Mis. <laughs> right? Which will probably star um, who knows. Uh, and you're originally from Colorado. Yeah. And you scratched out how long you've been in New York and anything else fun you want to say. Yeah. Where in Colorado? Boulder. Isn't that where, like, Mark and Mindy was? Boulder, Colorado? I love it. He was, was, he, was, was Robin Williams a guy from here, or was he the other left company? Um, all right, so you ready to sing? Do you need anything? You ready to go? All right. Then I'll get off the stage. I'm going to go this way. All right. Have fun. Sign up for open mic. I'm signing up. I want to win the money. First of all, uh, one more time for the awesome Prospect Theater. That's awesome. Congratulations and good luck. And one more time for Katie Kozlowski. I got to throw that out there. Thanks for the invite. So, uh, yeah, this is from a, a very well-known musical called Doonesbury. Uh, back, in, uh, back in the 80s, written by the comic strip writer, Gary Trudeau. So we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. Fancy all alone 
past disguises and hidden graces I have a few of my own Why try to solve each mystery jar with fireflies in just one night it's not as if I never had a past with her Holy Thank mackerel. Great googly moogly. Give up that headshot photography thing. My God. That was unbelievable. Get off the stage. All right. As I said, uh, next week we're going to feature a couple more performances from the Sunday Spotlight, including a couple more open micers. Join us on February 8th. Uh, besides winning you know, some prizes and some cash, you might get uh, featured on Broadway Bullet. Who knows? So um, love to see you down there. Come out and support us. Again, if they have a good night, they're going to uh, give us a regular spot. Top of the trades. OMG, everyone. The Phantom is legal. The most successful stage musical of all time, the Cameron Mackintosh Really Useful Group Inc. production of Andrew Lloyd Webber's The Phantom of the Opera, directed by Harold Prince, reached an unprecedented milestone on Monday, January 26, 2009, when it celebrated its 21st anniversary on Broadway. On that date, playing its 8,732nd performance at the Majestic Theater, it became the first Broadway production ever to have run 21 years. The cast and crew celebrated with a custom-designed cake from Cupcake Cafe in honor of finally being of legal age on Broadway. Find out more uh, in our show notes. Well, the SHNSF premiere of Ever After is canceled, but the creative team continues to develop the project. Broadway World learned that the planned San Francisco Best of Broadway series world premiere engagement of the musical Ever After, based on the popular 1998 20th Century Fox film, has been indefinitely postponed. Schorenstein Hayes Niederlander Theater, overseen by Carol Schorenstein Hayes and Robert Niederlander, was set to present Ever After this April as part of their 2009 season. Ever After producer Adam Epstein, Hairspray, The Wedding Singer, Cry Baby, and uh, we have interviewed him on the show and he talked about the development of Ever After, so it's kind of a bummer to hear, uh, said in a statement that, quote, the previously announced production of Ever After has been moved from this season's lineup as the creative team continues to develop the musical for future production, end quote. Let's hope we see it. I have a feeling this actually could make a pretty good musical. Curtain Call. 
Well, that wraps up, I think, a pretty good episode. I was excited. It was a lot of fun on Sunday. One question I'd like some feedback from on everybody as we feature uh, stuff from our showcases in the podcast. Uh, give me an email at mgilbo at broadwaybillet.com. I'd like to know, um, do you like how I intersperse this stuff from the show throughout the episode, or would you like it all the songs and music together in, like, one chunk at the end of the episode? Um, really love to know that. Um, also, I just want to remind everybody one more time, I hate to ask, but if anybody can uh, see it in their hearts to support Broadway Bullet and keep us from getting kicked out of our Times Square studio, uh, any any size donation, small or large, would be greatly appreciated. Uh, like I said, we just need $1,000 to keep from getting kicked out immediately. Uh, $2,000 will put us on safe ground. And no matter what, I guarantee you we will be keeping <laughs> – we will keep doing the podcast. So um, that said – I hope you'll join us on February 28th. We're going to be back here next week uh, on Thursday. Again, we're weekly again. So uh, hope to see you back here. And once more, thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. The hairs went up on the back of my neck. The Broadway Bullet. It was a thrilling moment. With Dobbs, so shouldn't audition come up? We are so ready and raring. So Jake Kowski says my name and I'm in the can. Actually, the Barfay thing comes from my whole life. People just going vulture, boggler. Unpackage those things with the audience and explore them a little bit. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, Go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.